So a friend once told me my home is where my hi-fi is or home is where the hi-fi is. Uh, that was a, uh, one of my best friends as a teenager, uh, basically signifying that music was the most important thing in his life. Now, he became a Christian many years later. Um, and even though I was praying for him, it wasn't through any work of my own, um, apart from the prayer. Uh, and he has a family, so I doubt that he would say that now. But it raises the question, where is home for you? Is it the town that you grew up in? Is it where you spent most of your life? Is it where your family are or your friends or where your belongings are? Home is such a powerful idea. It ties in with identity, with belonging. I went to a positive schools conference a few years ago um, and one of the biggest uh, takeaways from that was the main speaker, one of the main speakers who said that the biggest thing that a school can do for a child's mental health and well-being is to give them a sense of belonging. And I see that very much in when I was working in, a, 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 in, a board, uh, in the boarding house. As Christians, the Bible tells us that our home is in heaven. And we will look at uh, Peter's points, uh, how Peter points us to this in his letters, the, the letter that we're going to start today. Let me pray for us as we go on. Father, we pray that we can come to your word with humility, uh, with uh, putting aside our preconceptions, our um, our understanding of the world and listen to you who created the world, who created each of us and knows our very innermost workings. Lord, we pray that uh, we can look to you, look to Jesus's salvation that he provided on the cross and the great day of your glory when you will come again and we will have that promised place in heaven. Teach us now, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, as I said, we are going to start today's... Um, we're going to start today's service uh, looking at uh, or a new series on 1 Peter. And I'm going to read from 1 Peter uh, ch chapter 1, verse 1 to 12. So it's on the screen. Hopefully you can see it. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, 
So the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result, result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though, have you, you have, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicated when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Things into which angels long to look. Isn't that a powerful statement? Now, the longing for a home is a powerful one, isn't it? So many books have been read, uh, written about this. Um, but it can also be quite, quite confusing where our home is, especially for, for me and many of uh, this congregation as expats. And even those who are native to Malaysia. Now, uh, is East Ladang where my house is now? Is that where I, is that home? It's, it's kind of weird to be banned from school, my school during the pandemic, because I lived there for three years and I've spent most of the last seven and a half years in and around school. It certainly feels like a home of sorts. So to be banned from it was, was very strange. I often say that London is my home where I have a flat and many friends. But chances are that if I return to the UK, I probably won't go back to work in London. So whether I'll ever live in London again is, is strange. It's also very strange to visit the small town I grew up in. Um, it's, a, it's quite a quiet place and not a lot changes, but when I visit, and I visited, uh, last time I visited a couple of years ago, maybe three years ago now, um, I see jarring changes. A supermarket here that wasn't there. The old library is shut down and has been changed into some little shop. It reminds me that it's quite a different place from where I grew up in. And there are very few familiar faces around that town. Now, Peter's first letter addresses this because as Christians, we can easily consider this world as our home. This place where our friends and family are, where we work and play, where we uh, work hard to feel as if we belong, because that's just natural, isn't it? It's our home, it's our nesting in, uh, instinct. And as I look around, I, I fear when I, if, uh, when I move back to the UK that I've got to move all of this stuff. And what am I going to do with all this stuff? I've just built up so much stuff. It's a, a nesting instinct, isn't it? Or it's a kind of homely 
homemaking instinct. Straight off the bat, we can see here, Peter, an apostle, he calls, him, he, he calls himself an apostle of Jesus Christ. Therefore, he is one of the chosen witnesses and teachers of Jesus as he addresses his audience. This audience is to those who are elect exiles, and that's what I've entitled this uh, sermon today. Who's he writing to? Well, he, he writes straight away afterwards to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now, you may think uh, Asia is a strange one to include in that list because that's huge compared to all of the other small districts, but actually this is uh, just uh, indicating five province of provinces uh, that would be now considered modern-day Turkey, so it's not kind of Asia as the continent. This tells us the letter follows the tradition of being copied and sent on to different churches, not just these churches, but churches uh, where, uh, where they were found. So it is very relevant to speaking to us today. Yes, we need to take it into the context of the first century, but yes, it is speaking to us today because it was addressed to Christians and we have to trust that God's message is brought through to us today. Now, what does it mean by, what does he mean by elect exiles? Now, the word elect is very easy. Uh, these are the chosen. And we see throughout the Bible that the people of uh, God are the chosen ones. Yes, we accept God into our lives, but he chose us from before we were born. And of course, we could at this point go into a big discussion about free will and predestination. Uh, and sadly, I don't have you, uh, either Pastor Craig or Pastor Eric or somebody else to refer to and say, go and talk to them. But if you want to talk to me about that, ask me afterwards. But yes, as Christians, we are chosen. One way to think about that is kind of um, as uh, kind of if, if we uh, if if parents have a child. The parents chose to have that child. The child chooses to recognize those parents. That is a, a, a relationship there. You can choose not to recognize your, your, your parents. And at a certain age, you can kind of uh, remove yourself from that. But that is the relationship there. The, the parent chooses to have the child. The child recognizes and acknowledges that parenthood. Exiles. What does he mean by exiles? The majority of the Christians that Peter was is addressing are Gentiles. So we can't be talking about the physical place of Israel. And these Gentiles are probably native to where they're reading this letter. So how are they exiles? Because they are where they grew up. Now, as I said before, Peter is going to point us to our real home, which is in heaven. And we can see that throughout this letter. That is where we're going to find our peace and joy, as we see in, in verse three and four here. Also, our living hope and inheritance. And doesn't that sound like home? 
It's where our inheritance is and where our hope is. If our hope and inheritance aren't where we consider our home, well, I wonder whether you have a similar definition to home as me. Anyway, it's very much that Peter is drawing on the imagery of the Old Testament. God's people in Israel and Persia and Babylon, uh, Babylon and uh, scattered throughout the Roman Empire. They are the dispersion. They are in exile. Despite being chosen, they are in exile. They long to return to that true home, Israel, but live out their lives in the place where God has placed them. And so as Christians, as we are dispersed throughout this world, our home is in the metaphorical Israel, the the. the is the, the place where Israel was modeled on, the land of milk and honey, which is heaven. Let's read on. Uh, verse 2 says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Again, foreknowledge means that we are looking at being predestined by God. That means foreknowledge. In the sanctification of the Spirit, Sanctification, meaning that we are being made holy or we have been made holy and set apart and being marked and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We have been set apart. That's what sanctification and being made holy means. For the obedience to Jesus Christ, for the sprinkling of his blood. Notice again how. The Bible links being saved with obedience. Elsewhere, we see time and again, being saved leads us to obedience, not the other way around. Don't hear me wrong. It doesn't mean that we have to obey to be saved. We can actually see that. Uh, I, I suspect this is why Peter puts it in this order. Normally, we hear, uh, you've probably heard, often the phrase Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in chronological order, that kind of makes sense, even though uh, Jesus says, you know, in the beginning of time, I was or I am. Um, but in this order, Father, Spirit, Son, we see that we are chosen. We were made holy so that we can obey and be saved. There is that order. But let's move on. May grace uh, grace and peace be multiplied to you. Verse three, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Notice again that it is not because of our obedience or anything that we have done that causes us to be born into this living hope. The living hope that is a certain assurance, it's not the wistful kind of hope that we often hear that word today, uh, used today, but it's because of his great mercy. Mercy and grace are two words that were once described to me as two sides of the same coin. Mercy is not giving us what we deserve. 
Mercy is not giving us what we deserve, and that is the punishment and eternal separation of, from God because of our sin. That is what we deserve because of our sin. Grace is giving us what we don't deserve. Grace is giving us what we don't deserve. That is a promised place in eternity in his family. We don't deserve that. We haven't done anything to deserve that. It's not through our works that we are given this hope. And we have to be thankful for that. We have to thank God for that. I'm so grateful that it isn't reliant on my rubbish, poorly motivated self that this salvation is dependent on. I'm so glad. Yesterday was a, you know, a particularly unproductive day. I didn't really do anything until the evening. I spent the day tired and not really getting on with anything that I should have been doing. Self-motivation is a problem. We are sinful and fallen and fail again and again. And thankfully, our salvation is not dependent on that. Verse four, let's read on. To an inheritance that in, is imperishable, undefiled, unfading and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, if you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold the, uh, that perishes, though it has been tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's a lot in there. So when the stock markets are volatile, when inflation is high, when futures are uncertain, people and companies invest in gold. Why? Because there's a certain certainty about gold. It's sure. It's like a steady rock. It doesn't go up and down. It doesn't uh, a lot. It doesn't fluctuate hugely. It carries no real risk. You see in so many Chinese movies those uh, those gold ingots look, that look like boats. Uh, the Yuan Bao. These are symbols of good luck, but they are often stashed away or passed on as heirlooms because they are a symbol of constancy. Now imagine gold and how long it takes for gold to perish. Because it does perish eventually. Gold will perish eventually. The Bible talks about mountains being worn away. Gold will perish. And imagine how long eternity needs to be for Peter to say, or the Bible to say, that gold will perish. And that's just nothing compared to eternity. One thing we love to hear, I see on the TV all the time, I see on the internet, uh, these kind of little sayings from children. It's sweet, it's innocent, and there is a certain innocent wisdom about it. But 
without being kind of a little bit cynical, it is incredibly naive as well. I remember once as a child thinking that a car was only a little cheaper than a house. How incredibly naive was that? Well, there are cars that are worth uh, the more than the cost of my uh, little flat, even in London prices. But my parents' four-bedroom house compared to our second-hand Ford Escort, it's not even close. When we look at our lives, we can often compare ourselves to everyone else's and thinking what a full and long life we've lived. I, turn, I turned 46 a couple of weeks ago and I, uh, you know, people often tell me I look young, but I, I definitely feel my age. I've written about uh, the kind of the lack of respect for all for age and experience nowadays. And I, and I see that in kind of uh, increasingly in children uh, and young people as technology starts to move faster and faster. And there's various reasons for that. But certainly. We kind of pride ourselves in our experience and long life. But if we compare that to eternity. It would be like these children claiming that they have all the knowledge and wisdom in the world. We would laugh at a three-year-old claiming to have understanding of life, the universe, and everything, who wants to teach us about quantum physics or relationships and marriage, give us marriage counseling, giving us financial advice. Yes, there is simple wisdom about taking joys in life. But those more complicated things for them to give us advice about that, well, they just couldn't, could they? But try and so we, we try and, and so strongly cling to this life. It's madness, isn't it? If we think about this life as a short time compared to eternity. I talk often in maths about infinity, and infinity is an impossible concept. Um, it's, it's a crazy concept. It creates all sorts of very strange things and different orders of magnitude of infinity. But I'm not going to go into that now. You're not interested in, in hearing me maths talk. I often see a post on the internet uh, asking this question. Would you live here and insert some haunted house or some remote island or some awful place to live for a year for a million dollars? And the, the principle is similar, isn't it? A short time of suffering, a short time of struggle, a short time of inconvenience might seem worth it for what would possibly set you up for life. I, I've joked often, you know, when uh, when my uh, students say, can you give me the answers to the test or can you give me the answers to the exams? I say, yes, but it'll cost you one million pounds. Because the chances are, if I if I get caught helping a child to cheat, then that could be my career. And I would like, a, uh, you know, um, 
enough money to set me up for the rest of my life. And it's joking, obviously, I wouldn't allow a child to cheat. But that's a, it's an interesting concept. Something, a short struggle now to set you up for the rest of your life. And this is what talk, it's talking about here. Verse six, in this you rejoice. And rejoicing in our sufferings is a strange concept, isn't it? Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. In this short time on this earth, we will experience trials until Jesus comes again and we will have eternity in heaven. The place where we can rest, the place where we will have an end to our trials. Revelation talks about suffering and tears being wiped away. Isn't that the home that we should long for? That is the home that we should be building towards. Verse 10. Looking on to verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. So these are the prophets in their prophecies, predicting the sufferings of Christ was serving us Christians now. Reading on, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. The good news, salvation and heaven, that's the good news, isn't it? And the way to them have uh, to salvation and heaven has has now been proclaimed to us and to the rest of the world these are the things that which angels long to look into the bible which we sometimes find as a chore to read the salvation and eternity which should fill us with so much excitement that it shouldn't be a chore to share but should be overflowing from our hearts because of the joy and obsession we should have with them. That's certainly a challenge for me to try and come to this Bible with that joy and enthusiasm and anticipation to be taught and being shown these mysteries, things that angels long to look for. And then because of that joy to, to share that with others. Not because I feel I have to, because of any guilt, because of any duty, but because of the joy that should be our, the central to our lives. Which unfortunately, more often than not, I will admit, is not. I think it's a good thing to, to share the gospel. And if we have to force ourselves out of duty, out of uh you know, out of you know, uh, acknowledgement for God, what God has done for us. 
But if we try and continue to look at the Bible, and every time I do look at the Bible, I, I do feel joy. And every time I share the gospel, I don't know whether you've done that, but, you know, I suddenly realize, why is this been so difficult for me to get to this place? It's so joyful sharing the gospel. And then I soon forget about it and remember, yeah, yeah, it's then such an effort to do it next time. So in future weeks, as we work through one, Peter, we will see how Peter unpacks what this means to us. For now, we learn that we are the chosen exiles, exiles from our home in heaven. Our trials are tests that will refine us and strengthen us and result in praise and glory and honor for God. So as we live on this in this temporary home, this temporary place, don't build up things that last on earth. Build up things that last in heaven. Again, that's a challenge to me. Let me pray. Father, we uh, pray that we can keep our eyes fixed on the goal, on heaven, on eternity with you. And do everything in response to that. Help keeping us, keep us, molding us to, to live our lives in response to that, with, with joy and passion to, to share you. Lord, we pray that you strengthen us, that you give us opportunities to share your gospel. Fill our hearts with joy that it is overflowing, that people notice something different about us. People question and that we can say readily that heaven is our home. In Jesus' name, amen.